This is TV Podcast Industries looking at The Watchman, Episode 8, A God Walks Into a Bar. Welcome back, fellow watchers. This is TV Podcast Industries, and we are on episode eight of The Watchman, which is entitled A God Walks Into a Bar. <laughs> Not a bar, mm-hmm. a bar. For weeks, it's been written with uh, with a space between the A and the B in a, in a bar at the end, but it makes a lot more sense because uh, this episode is about a God walking into and the bar, right? Yeah, exactly. The collision of beings that leads to um, a chain of events, equal opposite reactions, uh, as it were. Yes. But, fellow watchers, will you have dinner with me tomorrow night? That <laughs> is the question that I will ask at the start, and you'll have to determine by the end whether you will come for dinner. Uh, a bit like Dr. Manhattan yeah. in uh, Saigon with Angela. Um, so, yes fellow watchers um i hope you choose to to take up the offer but surely you know that they whether they have or not already right because everything's happening at the same time just a reference we don't have chris as our third host this week we only have the two of us dr harrison here and myself actually i can't keep calling you dr harrison do you have a first name yes it's john uh, you can call me john it's john with an h nice <laughs> yes but in reference to the fact that we don't have Chris here and Chris has been talking about in our feedback episodes and the main episodes that he doesn't like flashbacks in his episodes, <laughs> this episode has zero flashbacks in it. One entire episode of the series where everything just happens at the same time. Yeah, no the, flashbacks. this was quite good, actually. It was <laughs> as though um, the Watchmen series was trolling uh, Chris. Mm-hmm. He, I think, had said in the last episode that it was just about enough um, flashbacks from his side. Yeah. As we get a flashback, but then it is neatly mentioned by Dr. Manhattan uh, that everything is occurring both now, Mm -hmm. in the future, and in the past. Uh, These, for him, the way he perceives time is that they're all happening at the same time. So technically, maybe it's not a flashback. And if you think about it, also technically, episode six, where we had Angela Barr experiencing what happened to Will Reeves, her grandfather... That was also not a flashback. That was her experiencing what what happened because of the nostalgia pills that she took. And then when she comes back to herself in episode seven, she's also experiencing her memories from the past as well. So again, not flashbacks. She's actually going through them as if being there. So (laughs) I love it. I think the show is. I don't think Chris is going to buy that, though. I don't think so. No. (laughs) But anyway, I have one of your other hosts, Derek, by the way. Not only John, I have no H's in my name at all. Um, So there are just two of us here for this episode, and we will crack through uh, episode eight, A God Walks Into a Bar. But quickly, before we run ahead, it's very important, fellow watchers. Did you stay through the end credits of this episode? Because we have our first ever post-credits scene of The Watchmen. If you didn't, it's a very important scene, I think. So pause here, go back and watch the end of the episode because there is a good four or five minutes, I think, at the end, isn't there? Yeah, because th- th- there's a conversation that starts over the credits. Mm-hmm. It-, it is Mrs. Crookshank, sorry, Miss Crookshanks and Mr. Phillips and with Adrian Vite. Mm-hmm. And then as the credits end, you get transported to the man in the manor house or as we now know it to be 
the moon of Europa mm -hmm. circling Jupiter. Yes, exactly. So run off, go see that, come back to us. Uh, we'll still be here when you get back. But do watch it because it's going to seem weird when we start talking about the episode. There's going to be moments that we'll need to talk about the end as well because they are quite important, I think. Uh, yeah, very important. And um, this is very much a timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly uh, kind of an episode, but it certainly gives us all the answers. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, I really do think this, um, both in terms of what's going on with Adrian Veidt, because that was getting a little surreal yeah. with uh, piggies trotting through the, the, the court mm -hmm. uh, and so on, and with the cake. And the horseshoe, what do these mean? Well, we certainly get to find uh, these out. We also uh, get a lot of other bits and bobs as well in this episode, um, leading us right into the final episode where I think we're going to just see events unfold uh, within Tulsa. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, we only have two episodes left, but do make sure that you subscribe to our podcast over on tvpodcastindustries.com because we've got loads more happening over the course uh, hopefully before season two of The Watchmen starts. We have loads more other programs uh, to talk about and loads more other TV shows. Uh, season two of Watchmen, once again, it's still not confirmed. It's confirmed as a one-season show, which will wrap up. And then maybe there might be another story for season two, we think, uh, if it's going to be confirmed. But what we did see this week is the ratings for the show are massive. They're about as big as HBO gets, really. Chris mentioned very early on that a lot of people watch uh, HBO on their Go apps, uh, rather than on their television a lot. It seems to be much more where people watch in the US as opposed to just flicking on their TV to the channel HBO. Uh, live ratings for the show are around a million and a half, a million, somewhere around that for the first episode and went down to about 770,000 for the next episode, which is quite high for live ratings on HBO. What they've actually revealed is that's only 10% roughly of the audience that watches the episode per week. Um, they are averaging about 7.1 million viewers per episode for the show. So massive success. If it was dependent on ratings for the show to be to be renewed, this would have been re renewed after episode one, really. Um, but HBO don't depend on ratings. They see themselves as kind of a premium channel where people go and watch premium types of entertainment. So sometimes they do one season of a massively successful show because it's massively successful and they leave it at that and they, they've told their story. Sometimes they have shows that run for five or six seasons because they want to keep telling more and more story. I don't know which way they'll lean with uh, with Watchmen at the moment, but it's great to know that there's a lot of people watching. I think it allows them the, the freedom to be, um, to do a creative decision. Yeah. Um, I think there is the scope to do it because it's been successful and there is the scope to do it because they feel that there is additional story that must be told, yeah. can be told, is worth telling, um, and so can do it that way. Or they can go, this was great, it was very successful, yeah. but we're not going any further. It doesn't require any more explanation. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, it, it's like sequels. Um, mm -hmm. it, it's now like this on the gravy train with Star Wars ones. And, and to be honest, you know, most of them... I, you know, I'm a massive Star Wars fan, but most of them I have no real affection for, apart from probably Rogue One, actually, of, of all the latest stuff. I, th okay. I find they just regurgitate what the first three did um, in in a different way with new stormtroopers or whatever. And I, I, I really do find that 
Um, we're on that gravy train, and I think it's great if Watchmen decides we don't need that Watchmen gravy train mm. because otherwise it undermines effectively the IP or the the basis or of this this work, this piece of work. Well, in, in fairness, I think they're all very competent. Everybody that's been involved in this show, and in fairness, they did also do something like 165 days of writing the show to put it together before it came to anything to do with the screen at all. So any kind of filming took place after the 165 days of writing. So if given the opportunity and they say, we're going to do Watchmen 3. So if this is Watchmen 2, the sequel to the graphic novel or the comic books from the 80s, and then in two or three years time, they decide we're going to do Watchmen 3 because we come up with a great story of what could happen in the future of these characters. Actually, awesome. Brilliant. Go do it. No problem at all, as long as it's awesome, because it needs to be to keep up with this. Anyway, we've kind of gone a little bit off track there. We normally talk about this stuff in our feedback episodes. If you want to share your thoughts on this episode or anything to do with the Watchmen series, make sure you email us to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. Our cutoff point for feedback is Wednesdays, um, lunchtime GMT. Just email us with your thoughts and we'll talk about them on our next episode. Uh, Let's get into our discussion about this episode, though, John. Yes. Derek, what are some of the episode details? Oh, the episode was written by Devin Lindelof once again and by Jeff Jensen this time. Jeff Jensen actually was a writer for Entertainment Weekly and has been involved in loads of those kind of behind-the-scenes documentaries for shows like Lost and Firefly and Veronica Mars. Uh, he's kind of person that you'd go to to ask their opinion about one of these seminal type of shows. So a lot of his credits are just moments where he's been interviewed within those types of shows. But interestingly, he also wrote the movie Tomorrowland with Damon Lindelof. So that's where they got their connection. That's where they um, obviously have worked together in the past and are now working together on this series. So kind of cool that he's been involved in the show from the beginning. A lot of people suspect that he'd be the host of the podcast about Watchmen because he did a podcast for Twin Peaks The Return uh, and some other Twin Peaks stuff in the past. So they just expected that he'd be involved in the podcast. I remember seeing his involvement being announced and a lot of people going, oh, okay, well, if he works in the show, then he's not going to be able to do his fan podcast about it. So basically, sometime in 10 or 15 years, John, you could be uh, involved in maybe a Star Trek show where you're writing episodes or a Star Wars show where you're writing episodes. Nah, I doubt it. (laughs) You never know. You never know. The episode is directed by Nicole Cassell. The third episode she directed of Watchmen after directing the first two episodes, which were awesome when he talked a lot about her back then. She's currently working on The Last of the Mohicans for TV. Maybe you could be working on that in a couple of years, John. Interesting stuff, yeah. No, I loved the movie um, done by Michael Mann. Um, I thought it was really good. I think it was probably down to the music, um, a lot of it. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that film. It's interesting that it is coming to TV, or maybe not exactly the same, but uh, yeah, kind of interesting. I kind of really like that period of American history, yeah. uh, the French and the... Uh, the British in North America mm-hmm. vying for supremacy. And at the same time, you still have on the East Coast the, this, um, you know, viable uh, Native American population as well mm-hmm. that is inserting itself into this what is pretty much a European struggle being played out um, on a different continent. Right. Uh, so I find that all kind of fairly interesting. So... Yeah. Uh, Keep an eye out for that. I might just keep an eye out for it. Yeah. Either that would be horrific and, uh, okay, okay. Well, but you'll definitely give it a chance, though, of course. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, John, do you want to tell us what they gave us with this episode of Watchmen? Episode 8, A Man Walks Into a Bar. Sure. Although this will be short and sweet. <laughs> Angela's mysterious past in Vietnam is finally revealed. Mm-hmm. 
Ta-da! I was going to update that to Angela and Cal's past was re- was revealed, or Angela, Adrian, Cal, and Doctor Manhattan's past was all revealed. Well, exactly. Revealed. I think you could actually the description of this episode could be all your questions are answered in this episode of Watchmen. Yeah, pretty much. Absolutely. Tune into episode nine for <laughs> any remaining answers to questions. But certainly it is more than just about Angela's past. It is about Dr. Manhattan's past, present, future. It is about Adrian Veidt's. It is about Calvin's to an extent, but as Dr. Manhattan. Mm -hmm. It is about Will Reeves as well. It's about what happened on uh, during the White Knight Mm -hmm. massacre by the 7th Cavalry. So... There is, it's more than just Angela, but Angela certainly is this crucible around which everything is happening. Yeah. Uh, so, um, yeah, really, really interesting. But, dare I say it, dark, I hear a ticking clock. I don't know whether that works as well when Chris isn't here. <laughs> no, I don't think it does. The Doomsday Clock has been set to five minutes to midnight. With the Doomsday Clock set at five minutes to midnight. Or four, or twelve, or three, or eight. I don't know where we are, because everything's <laughs> happened simultaneously right now. <laughs> John, do you want to give us your major point about this episode of Watchmen? Yeah, for me, it's the plan A, plan B. Um, it <laughs> is the meeting of Adrian Veidt and Dr. Manhattan now taking the form of um, Calvin. I found this interesting across most things. Firstly, that... In the 1980s, um, Adrian Veidt's plan, or attempt, I should say, to kill um, Dr. Manhattan was actually his plan B. This idea that he would defragment him again into nothing, uh, Mm -hmm. and, and that would be the end of him, or the destruction of Dr. Manhattan, was actually a plan B, that he had another plan A, uh, which he had hidden uh, from Dr. Manhattan, which was in the form of suppressing Dr. Manhattan or John Osterman, um, suppressing all his feelings uh, so that he would effectively forget who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think Adrian Veidt here calls it Plan A f- was for amnesia. Yeah. Um, and he has this this piece of metal like uh, in the same style as the the atom symbol that you have on, or that Dr. Manhattan has on his forehead. Yeah, I don't Uh, have it on my head, yeah. (laughs) And uh, so I thought this was really, really interesting. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going back to the the Watchmen comic uh, and this idea that Ozymandias had a plan A and a plan B and ultimately had to resort to plan B, Mm -hmm. but also that this plan A is being offered by Adrian Veidt now in this moment to Dr. Manhattan, who takes it willingly, mm-hmm. in order so that he can um, not only look human, but also, in effect, feel or act human uh, and not like a god, uh, so that he um, suppresses his godlike tendency to be fairly aloof and, hi- and highfalutin. You know, <laughs> he, he suppresses Dr. Manhattan. Yes. And, and allows um, effectively Calvin to come back through mm. um, in this reanimation. So, I mean, effectively, Calvin is a zombie. Angela is married to a zombie uh, in some respects. And I, I thought this was really nice. And I also just thought it was just great coming back to Karnak as well. Mm-hmm. Um, seeing 
all these different things and understanding a lot about Adrian Veidt because we also see here that his plea, his desperation on Adrian's uh, face, you know, played by Jeremy Irons, I think is exquisite in this moment um, where he says, I was my utopia, you know, the, the one thing for this atom that will make you forget um, and feel more human is I want an exchange. I want my utopia, uh, to which he replies, it's already created. And, you know, Godspeed, there you go. He transports him to Europa, mm -hmm. to that verdant pasture and the manor house. And um, I just thought Jeremy Irons played that whole bit so, so well in, in Karnak with... Dr. Manhattan, mm -hmm. um, in, in the form and image of Calvin. Um, he just seemed tired. Absolutely. Uh, and, you know, it comes back to as, as Calvin arrives, you see, uh, I think it's the Taj Mahal on, on the screen. And he's like, you know, why, why, why do you still have the bomb? Um, you know, I, I've given you wind, solar, blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. And Calvin's introduction to him is, because ironically, it makes them feel safe. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and we see him still trying to simulate this alien invasion uh, with the squids. Absolutely. Like, yeah. It's a really difficult balance for the show to pull off here. And I think you're right. They do pull it off really well. You know, they're referencing things that as a viewer of the show, you may not understand at all. You know, even the simple fact of Karnak itself is the lair that Adrian Veidt's been hiding out in. It's in Antarctica, which makes it really difficult for anybody in the world to get to. And this is where he carried out his plan in 1985. This is now 2009, when uh, when Cal's version of Dr. Manhattan is arriving to him and telling him the, the plan that you had, the plan that you did in 1985 Yes, it worked, but it still hasn't accomplished the goals that you expected it to accomplish, which was everybody would put nuclear weapons behind them and work together in the world to save the world from possible external threats from the universe, which is what the original plan of Adrian Veidt was. They reference things that you can't have seen uh, if you haven't seen, if you haven't read the original comic book, which is things like the original conversation between Dr. Manhattan and Adrian Veidt, where he tries to destroy him. And while trying to destroy him, that takes Dr. Manhattan out of what's going on in the world at that moment and allows Adrian Veidt push the button to drop the squid on New York. And that's when he says to him, I already did that. You're not here to stop anything because my plan has already taken place it's already happened and what we see also from Adrian Veidt one of the cool things as you say that moment where you see his face and he's looking at what used to be a big massive panel of 20 or 30 screens focused on multiple things around the world is now just one or two screens that are still working yeah. he's sitting there with his remote control in his hand which he looks like he's been bashing for years yeah, yeah. because it works about as well as Jane Crawford's remote control for that trap door last episode where she pushed every button to get it to work he's bashing on one button going why what's going on in the world World. Why aren't they respecting? Why didn't my most perfect of plans play out the way I expected it to? And you see him almost as a broken man here because absolutely, you can almost see that wheel turning where he's going. But this was the only plan that was supposed to work. I, th I, th I think that's the thing. It's captured so well. You, you know, you come into uh, Karnak and you see the 
pharaohs and、mm-hmm. the grandeur that was there back in nineteen in the nineteen eighties, and now the pharaohs that th- those kind of statues, the columns are are decayed,、mm-hmm. that they're falling apart. You have this old technology. I mean, you see the banks of of screens. You know, none of them are you know sixty nine inch flat screens.、Mm-hmm. They're all the old style. The computer on the desk is the old green screen, and、um, the the monitor and, and keyboard in one. So cool, and、um, you know <laughs> all this old tech,、uh, but at the same time, you know tech that feels relatively new. Where he is effectively doing a a, a wormhole or a portal,、uh, whereby he's dropping thousands of. Of these,、uh, of the squid,、uh, somewhere in the world at that moment,、mm-hmm. um, the cephalopods,、yes. the cephalopods, and then you also have all these squid pictures uh, around or、um, hanging on the walls.、Mm-hmm. You've got this sort of big portrait of Ozymandias that plays out, and, and you get this tiredness, this desperation that his plan that was supposed to play out the way it has hasn't, and I. I, I like the fact that not only for his grand scheme of plan, but coming back to the whole plan A and plan B about having to tackle Doctor Manhattan, which he thought he had to do in 1985. That there was his plan A, which was with his his atom、uh, device that gives ultimately Calvin or Doctor Manhattan amnesia here,、mm-hmm. so he can live for the next ten years with with Angela and and not be an insufferable. Timey wimey person talking about questions and answers.、Uh, you can understand why he saw that she would ask him to leave after six months because、mm-hmm. that would just be infuriating. Having questions thrown at you, well, you're going to tell me, but I'm not going to tell you when. You'll have to find that. Shut up! <laughs>、um, you know how could you possibly have conversations like that?、Uh, no wonder she asked him to leave. But then also the plan B. Um, which ultimately failed to kill him. So、mm-hmm. actually, Adrian Veidt, the very clever man that he is, the the man that likes to put down the plans,、um, is always seeming to run off a plan B or a plan C or his main plan not working.、Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this ties in quite nicely with、um, the end credit scene at the end、um, because he's been planning something as well. At the manor house for quite some time, but I, I think we can come to that、uh, later on. It makes a lot of sense, as you say, for Adrian Veidt to have multiple plans because he is the smartest man on earth. He's not going to have just one plan and know it plays out.、Um, what I do like is that he cuts back to a very big reference that has been used many times from the Watchmen comic book. He cuts back to that moment where he asks Doctor Manhattan, the not just the smartest, another one of the smartest people in the world, someone that actually is experienced in the future. At all times and experiencing everything at all times, he asks him, "Is this plan going to work in the end?" And Doctor Manhattan says to him, avoiding the question, as Adrian says, "Well, nothing really ends, does it? Nothing ever ends." You know,、um, it's something that has been used to advertise the fact that the show was coming. The Watchmen TV series they showed that that specific image of Doctor Manhattan saying, "Nothing ever ends,"、um, and they've incorporated it back into the show here, where truly he's saying to Adrian Vice, "I'm not going to tell you whether." It, The, this is the answer to all of the world's problems because it may be the answer for a few years. It may be the answer for no time at all, because nothing ever ends. There is no end in sight. There is no end to everything. So、uh, I love that kind of reference back between the two of them. But interesting that he had this plan A that we hadn't heard about in the past. He talks about using this tachyon device to block 
this little tiny corner of the world from Dr. Manhattan, so he would never know that this ring was inside here that could block his mind uh, effectively. But what Dr. Manhattan does know, because he's experiencing right now, is that he goes to Adrian Veidt in Antarctica in Karnak to get something from him that will resolve the issue that he's having with with Angela this massively frustrating issue which I'll talk about in one of my later points as well but uh, I really do like how it all plays out this way in the show I think it's one of these really interesting ones that character I suppose of Dr. Manhattan is so different than any other character you've ever dealt with in any other show before I suppose Absolutely. Um, I, I also do like um, the fact that as Adrian Veidt realizes that Dr. Manhattan is there, he's like, hi, John. And then he goes, only Dr. Manhattan would have the balls to show up here uh, in his birthday suit. Uh-huh, and what a magnificent birthday suit that was. <laughs> the beautiful tux as well. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Really he changed good. into that tux. He did, exactly. yes, he did. A really, really good. Uh, Looking really very scene. smart, yeah. indeed. <laughs> it's a very good scene. Really enjoyed that. Um, my major moment from the episode, obviously, this is a kind of an odd episode, as we talked about before we started recording, because it is effectively two people sitting in a bar having a conversation and kind of tying up all the loose ends. So quite difficult to pull out big points and small points when it's kind of one narrative spread over many time zones all happening at the same time, if that makes sense. So um, the one I really wanted to talk about was the creation of Europa. It's something that is released from Dr. Manhattan quite early on uh, when he's having the conversation saying, I'm not actually up on Mars at all. That's kind of like a computer glitch being shown to the world of me sitting there actually I'm over on Europa. He's creating the world from scratch. I find it very interesting. I love the conversation that's going on and the narrative that's going on effectively that John doesn't see anything odd about the fact that he's using his powers to create human beings and restart the world and create an Adam and Eve, you know, even when that's proposed to him from the Christian theology, I suppose, there's an Adam and Eve and he goes, no, no, they were fictional characters. What I did was I created those characters for real on my own planet. It's kind of, he doesn't see that as any kind of contradiction to what the question that's being asked to him, uh, which I find fascinating. I love this idea that he's just kind of going, oh, well, it only took me 90 seconds to do. And, yeah. And, she's, and, and Angela's saying to him, oh, of course, uh, take it from a man to only spend less than two minutes creating life. You know. Well, that's it, because she says, and so do you rest on the seventh day? And mm-hmm. it's like, no, it only takes 90 seconds. Yeah. yeah. To just roll out my hand, roll out an entire planet full <laughs> exactly. of creatures. And then reveals that the manor house that's there is something from his childhood that he's basically picked up from the from England and transferred across the solar system to this moon of Jupiter because it has a connection to him, a special connection to him, as do Miss Crookshanks and Mr. Phillips. They're people that took care of him as a child and revealed, I suppose, the Bible and the story of creation to him. Yeah, and I, I like the fact that in that moment when they give the Bible he uh, to the young uh, John Osterman, he says, oh, my father doesn't believe in this stuff. And I, I actually do quite like how Miss Crookshanks uh, s- says, well, that, that doesn't matter. There are some good stories here. Mm-hmm. Um, the first one being about Genesis and creation. And it then she, she goes just promises that you will do a wonderful um creation at some point in your life whether yeah. because he caught them making love for to have another baby and um, because of the death of their first child um or whether it's him as a scientist you know again the original watchman uh 
comic issues, the creation is about this idea of putting together the intricacies of a mechanical clock with mm-hmm. all the the wheels and the uh, and the different cogs in order to get this this precision engineering um, in order to capture time accurately. Yeah. So. I find this really nice, this bringing together of religion and science here in this moment because of the different interpretations that people uh, may have. And, you know, John Osterman growing up has become a scientist and ultimately his creation probably was going to be the intrinsic field uh, generator, Mm -hmm. but ultimately he has generated paradise on earth and i i like how it comes back to that moment where he says to adrian white that he's created it but after having created it he goes all they keep giving me is infinite love and that's a little tiresome for him so i like i just left mm-hmm. <laughs> and um later on in the episode white says to phillips and crookshanks just because you're upset that your blue father went off to get a pack of cigarettes and, and never, never came, came back. back. So you have all these lovely little links in the, this whole episode mm-hmm. uh, that all make a, a lovely story. I totally agree with you. And there's those wonderful moments as well that really tie in. You know, we have John Osterman going, I'm going to create a perfect planet and create a perfect world, exactly as you say. Dr. Manhattan then walks away from that perfect world because all they'll do is worship him and do nothing else. Their hearts are so full of love that all they can do is go, what can we do for you, master? And then Adrian Weiss, who effectively has said to Dr. Manhattan, he didn't get the reward he expected to get for saving the world because it has to be kept under wraps. Is there, will I ever see utopia? And Dr. Manhattan goes, I've already created it. I'll send you off there. Yeah. And when he sends him off there, he experiences exactly the same thing. Over many years, we, we do find out that it's, as as we've said before, there's a year goes by every episode. So we know at least he's been there for about seven to ten years by this episode, by episode eight. He's been there by that amount of time. Another year passes in this episode as we see the anniversary cake is delivered to him when he's in prison after the trial last episode. So he's having this moment of realization or has had it for quite a, quite a while. Paradise isn't paradise you need to have something more than that. You need to have to achieve something more than just being in paradise. I suppose it's kind of where, where we are now in this episode. Definitely. I think uh, all of this thing sort of comes, I think as much to Adrian Veidt's position as well as Angela's and John Osterman's Dr. Manhattan, Calvin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think, uh, well, these are three people in one, I, I suppose. <laughs> well, exactly. um, so, I, I I find that really fascinating, and I th- I think the story of it ha- has been really um, nicely woven together. And I also like, you know, that he is questioned by Angela as to why he left this paradise as he's telling the creation story of of Europa of this planet that he's created. And, and Doctor Manhattan says to her, "Well, I had to meet you." And technically, he's absolutely accurate because he's experiencing time at all times. He knows he has to be in this place at this exact time. We see an example of that later on in the episode. He knows exactly where he needs to be because he's experiencing it. But the question of why are you doing that is a very difficult question for Manhattan to actually answer because he knows he just needs to because he's already done it. Yeah. 
But he does give a reason to Adrian Vine as to why he left, because he was just being worshipped there and had to walk away from them, effectively. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It, he found it insufferable. Mm-hmm. Um, but, Sark, what is that I hear? I believe it is the ticking of a clock. The doomsday clock has been set to four minutes to midnight. Is Sark even a word, John? <laughs> it's an island, actually. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Okay, interesting. <laughs> Do you want to tell us your middling, your medium-sized moment from this episode of The Watchmen? Um, I, I think for me it is the moment he loves her. Um, I think this mm. really comes down to the whole um, how time is viewed differently between Dr. Manhattan and Angela Abar. Yeah. But I think this moment where Angela does not accept that it's inevitable that Dr. Manhattan, John Osterman, Calvin will be captured by the 7th Cavalry with a Tachyon um, beam uh, and that ultimately he will be destroyed. It is her love for him to protect him and to change the inevitable as he sees it that is the moment that he loves her. And I love the fact that he tells him because he is um, that Dr. Manhattan-y. And, that, <laughs> you know, the idea that you w- just wouldn't say that in that moment, yeah. but he does. And her reaction to it, which is like, you tell me this now? So what you're telling me is, I, you know, because her immediate thing in how she views time is that at the very moment that effectively she will lose him it's like five minutes that he's truly loved her Mm. and he's having to explain to her but back when i walked into the bar in vietnam i already knew about this moment and that's what you would say so i have always loved you however this is the moment that informed me that I love you and yes. why he effectively does walk into a bar in, in Saigon and goes, I love you. And she goes, uh, hang on a minute, because her her perception of time at that moment is she's sat in front of him for five minutes. So it, yeah. it, it's those two contrasting bits which are really really interesting here and i absolutely love them and i think as well what it kicks off is just showing badass angela as well against the seventh cavalry Mm -hmm. and i suppose dr manhattan contemplating whether he does go out to help her um or whether he just waiting until the right moment when he does help her in order to fulfill the inevitability that she is so adamant she's going to change in this moment. So it, it, it's just really uh, fantastic for uh, me. And this is the most difficult concept to get across. Even in the original comic book, it always was this idea that everything's happening at the same moment for Dr. Manhattan, because effectively we're all used to dealing with things like, I suppose, Doctor Who would be a really good example to use here, where a time traveler pops in to a time where something is happening and he makes a change and that either fixes it or that changes the future. And what's happening here with Dr. Manhattan is he's experiencing everything at the same time. He knows exactly what's going to happen because it's happening right now. (laughs) And he keeps saying it and everybody repeats it back to him and they go, yes, I get what you're saying. You experience time differently. Everything's happening right now. And even though he constantly says that to everybody, everybody's always surprised when he goes, no, I'm dead now. Or no, they've caught me. 
because he knows what was going to happen. He isn't stopping something that is going to happen in the future. He isn't prepared three minutes in advance for something that's going to happen in the future. He's already been there and he already knows it's going to happen. The example that I was talking about earlier on, he's in the kitchen making waffles for himself because he realizes that he's hungry because he knows that moment has happened where he's been hungry and he's been cooking waffles in the kitchen and he tells Angela about 7th Cavalry. But it's a really difficult concept to get across and that's why every character in the show and in the comic book that hears Dr. Manhattan talk to them goes, yeah, I get what you're trying to say, but... Exactly. <laughs> it's one of those things you have... I think you get quite a lot of conversations uh, in this episode, certainly uh, across the bar table uh, in Saigon, mm-hmm. where uh, Dr. Manhattan says something. So he, he immediately comes in and he, he says, well, if... I tell you why you're here. Can I stay yeah. and 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 talk to you and ask you on a date effectively? So he he talks about her parents and having been blown up mm-hmm. and that sense of loneliness and, and that's why she's celebrating uh, VV Day um, on her own. Uh, and she's like, "Who told you about my parents?" And then you know the the reply is, "Well, you did." And she's like, "Well, no, I didn't." Um, he goes, well, yes, you did in about 30 minutes time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you have one about, and in six months time, you're going to tell me to leave. Yeah. 10 years time, we will be together, but it will be a tragic end. And it's all these, these different times. So, I mean, that, that one about her parents is that literally 30 minutes into the conversation, she does talk about it. Yeah. And that's that immediate kind of time jump back to where he just said that. So you have a lot of these conversations working their way through. Yeah, and yeah. I love the way he introduces the concept to her specifically because he's been in a relationship with her for 10 years and all at the same time. <laughs> he says to her, as he describes his particular state of being, he says, this is a particular frustration to you. So in other words, I've dealt with loads of people who've heard what happens to me and they've all said their concepts of it. But you specifically, Angela Abar, we've had fights about me knowing what's happening and us barreling towards something that I know is happening. And at one point in six months time, you even kick me out of the house because you're so frustrated. Exactly. She goes, how can that be possible? Because I know what's going to happen. You're telling me what happens. And then when they get to that point, she turns to him and says, do you need me to say it? And he goes, Effectively, he wants to say, and he holds himself back, but yeah. what he wants to say is, but you've already said it. Yeah. <laughs> but he can't say that to her, so she just says, you need to leave. Yeah. yeah so. But 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 that's it. it as, like I was saying before, this perpetual head wreck of knowing, but not feeling then in control. Exactly. It's the head wreck of perpetuality. <laughs> it's like the tunnel of love, and he goes this is your favorite music. And she's like, but I don't even know this. I've never even heard it before. I've never heard it before. And it's like, that would just make you go crazy. Mm -hmm. So you understand why she's then going, well, we're not having an argument. And it's like, no, but it's coming. You see the frustration uh, on her face and it's just so well acted. I I find it really just so well acted. Her frustration with this. But then later on, you get that, You've always found it comforting that I do know the future, but it's you know it's a contradiction because she feels safe that she knows what's coming exactly. But at the same time, at a moment where she feels 
well, I don't want that outcome. Mm-hmm. I want to change it. There's a frustration here. And you have that where she goes to try and save him right at the end of the episode, but you have it here in the moment of this argument Absolutely. as well. And it's just very, very fascinating. Absolutely. We are now in the argument. You're damn right we're in the argument. <laughs> <laughs> great, great moment. Yeah, really um, we've strayed directly into my uh, medium point for the episode, which is Dr. Manhattan experiencing all time uh, at the same time. Um, because there are two great outcomes. Let's talk about the other two pieces uh, that fall into place here in the episode, John. Uh, number one, we've always wondered why Will Reeves knew what was going to happen and why he had a countdown clock in his own head going in three days' time. Angela's going to know exactly what I did. Well, she knows because Dr. Manhattan went and visited him in 2009 and said, on this day at this time, you're going to have your grandkids in your possession and Angela's going to be really pissed off about it, (laughs) but it's going to be coming from me and she's going to be coming over to meet you to pick up her kids effectively. So he's always had the countdown clock. It's nothing to do with Lady True. No idea about that. Nothing to do with that. He's not suddenly developed certain superpowers. He's gotten all the information that he needed to start this whole thing off from Dr. Manhattan. And also, (laughs) and this is the big irony, I suppose, of the entire show, right? Angela realizes that she's the one that got Judd Crawford killed by casting suspicion and creating the environment in which he was killed by Will Reeves. She asks the question through time to Will Reeves, why did you kill Judd Crawford? And is it because he has a KKK costume inside of his wardrobe? And it turns out Will Reeves now knows to kill Judd Crawford because he is a member of Cyclops and he has this outfit inside his wardrobe and that's why he's killed because of the piece of information that traveled through time from Angela Abar. So we were wondering why he was killed and we were wondering was there a big question over his head as to whether he's a racist or not. It didn't matter. Will Reeves acted on the information he was given from the future from Angela Abar. Didn't do any further investigation because he assumed that was what was supposed to happen from a person in the future telling him that's what happened. Yeah, I mean, actually, this is straying into my three minutes to midnight point, which <laughs> is the chicken and the egg. Mm-hmm. It's the cause and effect. It's that Angela is experiencing the effect of Will Reeves having killed Judd Crawford. Yeah. But she's actually the cause of it because after the fact of Judd Crawford's uh hanging and lynching by will reeves she is having a conversation with with dr manhattan who is at the same time having the conversation with uh will reeves where they're having this conversation across time as uh granddaughter and grandfather um where she asks him about seminal moments that we've seen in his life about Cyclops. How did you know that Judd Crawford was connected to Cyclops? Yep. How did you know that he um, had a a Klansman's robe in his wardrobe? But he didn't. She told him. So now she is the cause of the effect that happens. It's not Will Reeves being the cause and the effect that we have been watching. Yeah in the normal time sense mm-hmm. in this series. So it just absolutely switches the cause and effect. And so hence the chicken and the egg element that Dr. Manhattan talks about. And we yeah. have replicated in the bar when he is asked to provide evidence that he can generate life. And he just, it's almost like a magic trick. And I think that's why Angela is so 
sceptical about it because all of a sudden this egg appears yeah. in his hand. It's like bringing a ping pong ball or something like that. Absolutely. Um, and Because we've all seen that kind of trick from a standard magician. Yeah, exactly. You know, she's expecting something far bigger, like he opens his hand. And as she said, I was expecting the chicken inside your hand, not the egg. So, yeah, I love it. I love Dr. Manhattan's moment of realization as well, where he says to himself out loud, oh, the chicken and the egg happened at exactly the same time. Me going to the house and creating the tunnel back to speak to Will Reeves is what allowed her to start the whole thing off, send Will Reeves to this exact place and time in 2019 to kill the head of police, kicking off all of everything that's going on in this world. Well, that's a chicken and egg scenario. Both happened exactly the same time. Wood didn't start the other. Both started it simultaneously and both led to this outcome effectively so really really fascinating stuff for this episode well yeah and 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 yeah in reality the it is probably that the chicken evolved to create an egg as their form of reproduction perhaps perhaps <laughs> but nobody I would knows say. for sure nobody knows for sure so that's that's the whole reason it's a big question i suppose right? or the question is actually the dinosaur and the egg mm-hmm. because birds are generally seem to have come from a reptilian evolution <laughs> question solved if a tree falls in the wood john and nobody's there to hear it has it actually fallen well exactly <laughs> who knows but i do hear something the doomsday clock has been set to three minutes to midnight we are all over the place where there are five four and three minutes to midnight but that's to be expected in this episode, right? Yeah, uh, I think so. <laughs> but our smallest point, the little thing that we haven't talked about so far, John, I suppose, is where we are for our final moment in our uh, countdown for this episode. What final little thing you haven't talked about would you want to talk about in this point? We took your chicken and egg and kind of brought it back into the last point, I suppose. So what small point have you not talked about yet? I think for me, uh, my other sort of little moment here is when Adrian White indicates that a little elephant had told him that Dr. Manhattan was, in fact, on Europa and not on Mars, mm. and that he was projecting that. Obviously, from last week, we the, the realisation when you said that the Lady True's symbol for her company is the shape of an elephant with mm-hmm. its trunk and its two ears, and also then with the tusks as well... Um, but also then the drugged up elephant uh, helping Angela Abar recover yeah. from the effects of nostalgia, uh, the the memory pills. So again, it's it's this link of um, what role Lady True is going to have in in, in all of this. Um, she, we know that she's trying to stop events that have been initiated by the 7th Cavalry. Mm-hmm. We know that Lady True has been harboring, at least, maybe helping Will Reeves. Um, we know that Will Reeves has met Dr. Manhattan from this episode. Mm-hmm. We know that Dr. Manhattan met with Adrian, and he helped him, or thought he was. And we still maybe need to understand the connection between Adrian and Lady True yeah. uh, for the full understanding to become apparent, but they obviously, I think, know each other. Yeah. Uh, with that line, a little elephant told me. Um, and so in, in that respect, she, obvi- she obviously worships his contributions, hence the statue. Mm. Um, so 
it will be interesting to see how how that works out as well. There's um, so many ideas out there about this fight and uh, and true uh, connection. Um, there's one out there, and I'll I'll show it to you later, John. You have to write it down. Uh, there's one out there that effectively, if you hold up the word true into a mirror, it kind of looks a little bit like Vite backwards. Um, if you put it side by side to a mirror, I'll show you. It, it does look quite similar. But I find it fascinating because Lady True was a was a real character from 300 BC. So very unlikely that they chose it based on it on putting um, Vice up against a mirror and going that's actually a, a name from uh, from mythology, I suppose, in Vietnam. So that's very unlikely. But I love that someone's come up with that connection. There's so many ideas that could have happened. What we know now is that Adrian Vite was sent off of Earth in 2009, and we don't think he's come back. Potentially that explosion that happened in the land that Lady True bought a couple of episodes ago could have been the return of Adrian Vite to Earth. That's entirely possible. Exactly. But have they had any connection for that whole time at all? Has there been any kind of communication between the two of them? Did he know um, Lady True before he left Earth? We we don't know yet. There's still not anything on screen that's told us that. But I love these little mentions of a little elephant told me, well, maybe there was some connection between Lady True and Adrian Vite while he was on the planet Europa or on the, the moon Europa. Uh, another little thing that we don't know just yet, but uh, I love those little references in there. Interesting. That's your, uh, that's your little point for the episode? Yeah. Derek, what's yours? My final one that I want to talk about for this episode really is the body selection scene, because I think it's really interesting. Um, they're together two weeks, right, Angela and... Uh, John Osterman, let's call him, uh, Dr. Manhattan, uh, in his body of Dr. Manhattan. They've been together two weeks, and she's had this idea that they can't go out in public if he still looks the way he looks effectively. And she shows him a number of bodies of people that have died in varying circumstances, no damage to the bodies as such. Um, they've all died, and none of them have any families, so they're just going to be off to be cremated effectively. Um, and they have that conversation between the two of them. Again, bear in mind that no matter what the outcome Dr. Manhattan has already experienced it. So he's being quite polite with Angela kind of going, well, I, I'm not going to make a choice because I don't give, I don't care. I have no care in the world as to what I look like on the outside. And it's, I have a different experience of the world than you do, Angela. You need to pick because you clearly yeah. do have an idea or something in your head that tells you what way you want me to look. And she takes out a fourth body, this body of Calvin Jelani. She pulls that out in a drawer and says, well, I'd be happy to experience the rest of my life with you looking like this, the next 10 years with you looking like this. So that sets up the instant question, what relationship did they have with each other in the past? That's instantly where I go is, why is she waiting to show the body of Calvin to Dr. Manhattan? Is she giving him the appearance of choice by showing three completely different bodies to him? Was it always the plan to say, I want Calvin as your host? Or did they have a relationship in the past? There's a touch of sadness, I suppose, when she describes how Calvin died. She said he had a heart attack out of nowhere and died. And now he has no nobody to pay for his funeral, nobody to pay for any kind of arrangements at all for him. So he's just going to be put into the incinerators and burned. There's just that moment of sadness from her where it sounds like she was there possibly when he died. And something was happening between the two of them or some kind of relationship. Something had happened in the past. And I don't know whether we're in this last episode, we're ever going to get that explanation as to who Kelvin was. But they've done a great job of explaining everything else so far that it, it makes me wonder, did she know him or, or does she just feel that sense of true loss when someone at the age, I guess, mid 30s has a heart attack and dies? 
and that's the end of their life. Does she yeah. just have that moment of, oh God, there's so much that this guy could have experienced and he has absolutely no family to take care of, nobody to miss him, and he's gone in an instant. Yeah, no, it, it's really interesting. I mean, I definitely got that as well, that it felt like the other three were kind of detached, objective mm-hmm. bodies that she was saying for Dr. Manhattan to inhabit. Yeah. And then, yes, why didn't she show Calvin as a, as a fourth option in that? Yeah. It took Dr. Manhattan to tease that out from her. Mm-hmm. Um, that's ultimately her choice. And there was that sense that she, in some way, knew him. Maybe he was a colleague in the police force. Perhaps, Maybe yeah. uh, someone that she had dealt with maybe not even necessarily a romantic relationship but someone that she got on with and so having that familiarity with that form is what she can live with potentially yeah so yeah yeah, it definitely it it is that little poignant moment in the mortuary here uh, i think you know it's nice to have some potentially fuzzy unanswered questions i'm sure we're still gonna have loads actually even by the end of um the the final episode mm-hmm. but uh I, th- I think this one it doesn't as such need to be explained okay. um but i think you can just think that there was something there between calvin jelani and her yeah whether it's a friendship a work thing or a romantic thing and that's why she ultimately chose him yep absolutely i uh, just thought definitely good to highlight there's a couple of other things that we need to highlight but they're more in our Two minutes to midnight moment, right? Uh, yes. The doomsday clock is now at two minutes. I repeat, two minutes to midnight. So, points, Easter eggs, and comic connections, you notice. Just a couple of points I just want to bring up two directly after talking about the selection of, of Calvin, I suppose. Because Dr. Manhattan goes, I really like the name Calvin. Um... Just to point out, the name Calvin means bold or hairless, which Dr. Manhattan is. So, so <laughs> nice little touch. Hidden right in front of our plain sight for the last seven episodes, the Cal means bold or hairless. And he has been Dr. Manhattan this whole time. So nice little touch there. Also, really like the moment from Adrian Vite where he goes to Dr. Manhattan. It's not the 80s anymore. This type of appropriation of another body doesn't go down very well now in the 90s, you know. <laughs> Or in the 2000s, sorry. Uh, it doesn't get out very well anymore. That's a that's a nice little moment from uh, from Adrian Vice. Uh, a nice reference to the fact that everybody always does this crap in comic book movies where they go, that character's always been white. Well, actually, Dr. Manhattan has always been blue. In the entire time you've known Dr. Manhattan since you were a kid, <laughs> yeah. he's been blue. So he's now chosen to inhabit the body of Calvin for very obvious reasons in the show. That was the choice of the person who was going to spend 10 years with uh, with him as a person. So it makes total sense in the show. But a nice little touch there from, uh, from Adrian Vice. Yeah, I, I think one of the things I, 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 I've got as one of my notes uh, is... I feel the music uh, is very defined um, mm-hmm. in terms of different situations here. And and it actually links to another note that I have, which is that moment when you have the entry of uh, Ozymandias' atom device into the head of um, Calvin mm-hmm. and Dr. Manhattan there in Vietnam. And as it goes in, and then you have the the exit of it that with the blood dripping all over it uh, as Angela's holding it after she's extracted it from his hammered um, forehead mm. in Tulsa. And all the music in Vietnam seems to be relatively 
lively, upbeat. You know, you've got the Tunnel of Love, you've got the uh, Blue Danube Waltz, um, and and that's on Europa. You you have um, this. The music seems lively. It it seems um, much lighter. Um, and yep. then as soon as you have this whole sequence in Tulsa in their their home with the Seventh Cavalry, you've got that really oppressive tones of the Trent Reznor and <laughs> um, uh, mix at, as soon as you're back in Tulsa. And I, I, it's really, really um, sort of great tonality mm-hmm. to to the different parts of this, you know. I think a because you've got a lot, you know, a lot of this conversation between Doctor Manhattan and Angela in a bar. So that kind of background, it's lively. There's people socializing. You have that's where the tunnel of love comes on. You have this whole thing of creation on the moon Europa. So you have you know one of the great European composers with the waltz and the blue Danube mm. uh, in Schubert uh, being played, and they're all light and joyous and one of creativity yeah. um, and, and, and some meanings. You know, the tunnel is yeah, massively important exactly. within the episode. We also have the song that's playing when he's getting the, um, the device input into his brain. The song that's playing is it's all a matter of time. Uh, just as that's happening, yeah. as John Osterman saying goodbye for 10 years to his wife, effectively yeah. to his partner, he's disappearing into the past. And it's a matter of time. He will be out of the tunnel to see her on the other end. Well, and he cool. talks about that tunnel that where he can't see what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which yeah. is really interesting. Absolutely. Absolutely. Other really interesting ones that are in there. What is going on with walking on water? Obviously, you know, from a Christianity point of view, there is that story from the Bible of Jesus walking on water. That's a way that he almost proved to people that he was uh, divine, I suppose. Um, Dr. Manhattan mentions it almost off the cuff that he's walking across the water on Europa and Angela stops the story and kind of goes, hang on a second, do you walk on water? He goes, yeah, I do that occasionally. She mentions again, could you give powers to someone? He says, I could put it into something that they could eat and that would give them power. And she says, could you put your power into an egg and that would allow me to walk on water? And then towards the end of the episode, we see him walking on their swimming pool, so walking across the water of the swimming pool. And Angela goes out to confront him because he's just made the kids vanish off yeah. Will Reeves' house. And he says, remember this, it's important for later. You need to see this. And she goes, all right, I've seen it. What happened to the kids kind of thing? So that's definitely a through line throughout the episode. We saw three mentions of it and saw, saw it twice on screen, him walking on water. So what's that got to do with the final episode and the final uh battle i suppose between what seventh cavalry are going to do and what they're going to try and do to uh, dr manhattan so what is walking on water got to do with the last episode well he says you need to see it it's important for later yeah yeah and quickly just to mention that final scene i suppose uh that was that we said the, the moment that plays out after the credits where we have adrian vice up in this prison in europa we see kind of the playing out of what's going on. He's reading Fog Dancing, this book about loneliness, this um, very famous book in this universe, I suppose. Um, he's talking to the gamekeeper who reveals that he was the first of the Mr. Phillips that appeared on the planet of Europa. And he's been there the whole time. He's seen everything. And effectively, what we see from the gamekeeper is that he's evolved, right? Everybody else on the planet is still talking to uh, Adrian Vice as their master. They're still even calling him master. They're saying to him, will you stay master? He's saying no, and then they're throwing tomatoes in his face. Whereas gameskeeper Mr. Phillips 
is telling him to enjoy his effing cake. You know, he's actually angry at him that his master would walk away once again, would try and leave once again. It feels like while Dr. Manhattan left them all behind because they over-worshipped Dr. Manhattan while they were left behind, it seems like the gameskeeper became leader of this planet, effectively. Definitely. I think, again, for the notes, it is this post credit scene. Um, and I, I think what's really interesting that comes from it is that um, this utopia, this idea of people's utopia and paradise being heaven, mm-hmm. at least within a, a Christo-religious sense, and uh, that you you have Veidt saying here, heaven doesn't need me. And probably the opposite being true is that he doesn't want heaven after the insufferability of just pure um, worship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he goes, but my 8 billion children do in their cribs uh, back on earth yeah. need their father, their master. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really interesting, uh, along with the fact that finally with, with Vite in prison, for the crimes that he did, for the fact that he does want to leave. They're keeping him confined. But he gets the cake and the horseshoe at the right moment in time in order to enact his plan. So all these moments were he's giving out to Miss Crookshanks and Mr. Phillips because he has another cake at another moment with the horseshoe embedded in it. I don't need it now, he says. You know, we we have that moment where he doesn't require it. And here, it's the right moment at the right time. So it's Uh, like they have an embedded idea in their head that they must deliver him a cake and it must have a horseshoe with it at some point, but they don't know when. So that feels like a Dr. Manhattan thing, that he embedded something in them but didn't give them the timing right because he operates outside of time in a way. Yeah. Well, they're doing it all the time because it operates across all types of time. Exactly. So there <laughs> is it the past that he needs it, the future or the present? Yeah. Just just a really interesting concept. And once again, can I make a reference to Lost here that you might not like, John? Uh, once again, this idea that from the first episode we've been saying the first time we saw Adrian Weiss, he's been imprisoned somewhere for the crimes that he committed. Yeah. And then in this episode, he has actually been imprisoned for the crime that matters on the planet of Europa. He's been imprisoned for trying to escape Europa. And what we find in this episode, his conversation with Dr. Manhattan is, yes, please send me to paradise. So he's not been in prison this whole time. He's been in paradise this whole time and has only just gone into prison. The reference to Lost there being everybody thinks Lost was they arrived in purgatory in the first episode of episode one of season one and they ended in purgatory when in fact they ended in purgatory after their lives had been completed. So I think it's a nice little veiled reference to what the actual meaning of Lost was. But that could be me. I read loads, loads into Lost uh, as it went on. Uh, one other reference that I would like to bring in here as well. We talked about a little bit this relationship of Angela experiencing time normally with her partner who's experiencing time opposite to her almost and completely differently at least. Definitely gave me vibes of Doctor Who and River Song. This idea of them meeting at different times in their relationship and kind of one experiencing it less and less over time that knowledge of each other as they as they meet and spend time together if you remember from doctor who um the first meeting of the two of them is river song knows everything about him and the last meeting of the two doctor who and river song doctor who knows everything about river song and she knows nothing about him so i think that's a similar kind of idea of uh, love over time in different directions i suppose so just give me nice little vibes of that because i always love that storyline 
as I said at the start, I think this is the most timey-wimey, wibbly-wobbly. <laughs> it is very Doctor Who-y. However, I do think it's done probably, certainly for a single episode, yeah, very of well. Of course, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. No, I just wanted to make the reference because it's a, it's a story I, I really enjoy. Um, that's it, probably. That's close The two of us have probably talked a lot about this episode and probably could talk uh, another hour more as well. I'd say. Definitely. <laughs> but John, what did you think of this episode of Watchmen? Episode 8, A God Walks Into a Bar. I, I thought this was great. Again, it's just fascinating. I, I, I just want to watch the next episode. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really good TV. Um, it's phenomenal TV, actually. Um, and that's why I give it five birthday suits out of five. Absolutely. Um, again, uh, I'm really enjoying this. I'm get, having a lot of fun moving in and out of the craziness. I think, uh, you know, in our feedback episode, uh, one of our fellow watchers was saying about how he wanted to maybe get a bit more clarity about what was going on uh, with Adrian Vite in uh, the manor house and in that area and i i think we kind of get that here definitely actually i think i think we really get the sense of, of adrian veit's story and how it connects to that paradise on europa and that it's finally confirmed that it is that and he went there f- with free will mm-hmm. and he's slowly now uh sort of acting against it at the same time we have this um this this reveal of Dr. Manhattan, his intentions, that he has been a significant part of Angela Abar's life, as we saw with that whole revelation right at the end of episode seven, mm-hmm. where she pulls out the atom device from his smashed up uh, cranium. And we, we get to find out about that. We get to find out about Angela. Um, so this really has been great TV. Yeah. Um, and I do. I feel it's now we will be in Tulsa seeing everything that plays out with true 7th Cavalry, Senator Keane, mm-hmm. probably with Agent Blake and Looking Glass. Yeah. All the, um, you know, these different levels of the story, these different timelines of the story being really nicely worked together, I think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So absolutely five birthday suits out of five for me. <laughs> I'm right. That's absolutely what I'd say. Yeah, definitely a five out of five for this episode. It's been really enjoyable watching the series so far take shape. And what I'm really imp- impressed with, I suppose, is we've talked about these episodes twice a week for the last eight episodes. And they really are subverting expectations when it gets to explanations they're giving or detail that they're giving behind what happened to a character and how they got to their positions or got, got to their place in these episodes yes some people might consider them as flashbacks or uh, backstory but it's massively complex massively more complex than just going what happened that night i walked into a bar and talked to her and that that's how we had our first date well actually everything i tell you right now plays into every single moment there's been a hidden hand behind behind every single moment that's played out since the first episode and that hidden hand unknowingly has been dr manhattan and angela abar from right at the beginning, she's the one that started it all, and she's it's going to lead to a massive confrontation in the last episode, and has possibly led to the death of her partner in Dr. Manhattan. So I think this is a fascinating way to tell a story, and they've done a great job of hiding things in plain sight, and also hiding story beats 
that we've had questions about and giving us the answers to them in a timely manner and a really well-delivered manner uh, in this episode particularly. Really enjoyable. I'm really shocked that we only have one episode left of the series next week. And one of the things I really like about this episode is that it does reveal why everything is focused on Tulsa, and it is Angela Abar's choice as, as that conversation goes. We're going to move back to Tulsa because that's where my family are from. We have a question from Will Reeve, you know, why the hell does she want to come back to Tulsa of all places? And Dr. Manhattan goes, well, that's where her family are from. So revealing effectively the whole reason why this massive, huge story spanning the entire solar system effectively is taking place in somewhere like Tulsa is because, well, that's where Will Reeve was based. And time has played out that her grandmother came over to pick her up from from Saigon and told her how great Tulsa was. So she knows that she has a history in Tulsa. So everything is focused on there because... Dr. Manhattan's focused on Angela and focused on pleasing her. So uh, she's taken the whole story there and everybody is focused on there all because of her. As she said, did I start this whole thing? Yes, she did. <laughs> so fascinating that they've been able to provide those kind of details and really good episode. Absolutely good stuff. I think, yes, I think we're all looking forward to episode nine of Watchmen. But remember, fellow watchers, look out for our feedback podcast as well coming up. The bulletin of our Atomic Watchers uh, next week. So please send in any of your thoughts, discussion points, theories, anything to do with episode eight of Watchmen or the whole series. You can send in thoughts to feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com or you can join our Facebook group over at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash tvpodcastindustries. And we have our spoiler posts and, and commenting section within that for anything to do with the specific episodes and of course you can head on over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and record up to 90 seconds of your thoughts uh, about the week's episode Uh, just click on the right hand side tab the voicemail tab there and you can send that into us as well Uh, remember we'd love to hear from everyone uh, for our bulletin of our atomic watches feedback Mm -hmm. podcast and Cut-off time is basically Wednesday at two minutes to midday. There you go. GMT, <laughs> which, of course, is multiple time zones uh, across the world. Yep. It is 1 p.m. Wednesday in Central Europe. It's 11 a.m. in Wednesday for, for the U.S. East Coast, 4 a.m. Wednesday for the U.S. West Coast, and 10 p.m. Wednesday in Melbourne, Australia. So that's all we're going to give you uh, for this moment. Uh, but yes, Please send in your thoughts and discussion points. I think your East Coast time was wrong there. It's 7 a.m. Wednesday East Coast. Oh, maybe it's 7 a.m. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but, but, but we're all experiencing that time at the same time. It's important. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us for this episode. Make sure you share the podcast if you've been enjoying our thoughts on The Watchmen. Share the podcast with your friends um, and show them why you like it. Uh, sharing our podcast is sharing the love. You can also support the podcast by going over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries. We'll give you some more details of the kind of stuff that we'll be covering in 2020. As we get towards the end of Watchmen, we're still very focused on finishing out this season, the way we've been doing it all the, all throughout the season. But we've been so glad that some people have decided to support us over on Patreon as well. So if you'd like to do that, pop over to patreon.com slash TV podcast industries, and you could support us there. We will be back for the Watchmen finale. Yes, see how they fly. Ooh.
I'm now I'm getting Game of Thrones vibe with the the eerie uh, in the veil. Make the bad man go, fly, yeah, mother. They go out the the, the moon door, <laughs> yes. is it or the sun door? The moon door, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, yes. <laughs> let's see how they fly. Yep. No synopsis for the final episode, but who'd want a synopsis for the finale? I suppose the synopsis is probably well. That's it. That's the end. But <laughs> yeah. nothing ever ends. <laughs> <laughs> bye bye watchers keep watching the watchman yes thank you fellow watchers for the dinner last night it was gorgeous <laughs> i have seen to the future and for those of you that join me even though it's a bit of a struggle to get some of you along from the past um you know we have had a great dinner out tomorrow um night so it was uh <laughs> it was great um Thank you so much, fellow Watchers, for joining us. As always, it is a great pleasure chatting all things Watchmen uh, with you. And remember, fellow Watchers, keep watching, keep listening. Bye. This was a Televisual Podcast Industries production. You have been listening to The Watchmen Podcast.